Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise, and I want to thank you very much for listening and for loving Texas and its unique and wonderful history. This episode is being released in July of 2017, so I'll say that I hope everybody's summer is going well. My uh, my own two kids are at that road trip age right now, so we took a little 2,300-mile road trip a couple of weeks ago which was a wonderful experience. It set the production schedule of the podcast behind a little bit, and I'm sorry about that, but uh, it was a lot of fun. We saw a lot of the Deep South, and of course, being in the Deep South, had a lot of good food, and it was a great experience. And of course, uh, they're my kids, so we did a little bit of history stuff in New Orleans and uh, other Civil War sites and just had a great time. But I'm back at the Texas History Workbench, and I have some great ideas from listeners for some upcoming episodes. I've got about three or four in progress, so I'm going to narrow those, uh, narrow my focus a little bit and get to work on that. Uh, since the last episode came out, we, as I predicted, have reached over 100,000 downloads. We're out actually up to about 107,000 downloads, which just blows my mind. I, I just want to thank everybody who subscribes to this podcast who has listen to the shows and enjoyed it. Please keep the feedback coming. I'm very interested in your opinion, and I hope that you will share this show with a friend who loves Texas as much as you do. What I wanted to do, since we're in the dead middle of the summer, um, I wanted to do an episode that was a little bit lighter, and uh, I was inspired by the road trip I mentioned earlier, seeing some sights, and uh, and I was also inspired by beer, as uh, we all are. And so I think I'm going to combine the two, and we're going to discuss today a place that you can easily go see and uh, also involves uh, Germans and beer, two of my favorite subjects. And we're not going to keep this on a strict format. We're going to talk about an old community in Central Texas and the family that settled it and give you a little taste of daily life in the 1800s. This destination also has some more serious history involved because we're going to be talking about the Kreisch Brewery and Monument Hill. So let's go back to the middle 19th century and get wise about Texas. Now, you no doubt notice that I use the title, uh, in the title, I use the two words, beer and heroes, and that's an attention getter for sure, uh, but it also describes this site. So uh, let me set the scene for you for the heroes part of that. And we need to go back to September 1842 when Mexican General Adrian Wool invi- invaded San Antonio. Now, I discussed this invasion in my two Capitals of Texas episodes a while back, so go back and listen to those if you haven't. But General Wool came to San Antonio with a force of a 1,000 or so soldiers and t- captured San Antonio in September of 1842. This was actually the second invasion of San Antonio that year, the first one being in March. Well, General Wall captured many of the prominent citizens of San Antonio, including the district judge and every lawyer in town except one. Now, I have not received any comments since that episode about putting lawyers in prison, so I'm not sure where everybody stands on that, but let me know. I can tell you, though, in 1842, the citizens of Texas were outraged. Well, in Fayette County, the county seat is LaGrange, and it's located on Highway 71, between uh, Houston and Austin, there was a gentleman named Nicholas Dawson, and he mustered the militia under an oak tree in LaGrange, and he set off on a march to Bejar to fight the invading Mexican force. 
He left LaGrange with about 15 men, and by the time he got there, he had 50 or so, and he arrived on the banks of Salado Creek a couple of days after he left LaGrange, which is some pretty aggressive writing. He intended to join forces with Captain Matthew Caldwell, nicknamed Old Paint, and Jack Hayes' Rangers. Both of those forces were mustered to fight the uh, Mexican army. But Dawson and his group was intercepted by a Mexican force before they could join the other troops. So Dawson set up to fight near where Fort Sam Houston is now, but he found himself surrounded by the troops. So Dawson tried to surrender. Well, as Dawson tried to surrender, surrender, the Mexican army fired at him anyway, which brings back bad memories of Goliad. Dawson realized they were going to have to fight, and he tried to rally his men. Now, one of his men grabbed the white flag and rode toward the Mexican troops who promptly shot him off his horse and killed him. It ended up that 36 of Dawson's men were killed, and two were taken prisoner along with the citizens of San Antonio who were all marched down to Perote Prison in Mexico. According to one account, though, this was an interesting fact I found, Samuel Maverick, a very prominent citizen of San Antonio, had a slave named Griffin, and apparently Griffin was fighting in this battle, uh, broke his rifle, grabbed a mesquite limb, and started fighting with that mesquite limb until he was finally killed. So Griffin was uh, a tough son of a gun. Well, anyway, the bodies of Dawson and his men were just left by the Mexican army on the field, which reminds us again of the Alamo and Goliad. Some more men arrived later from Fayette County uh, after the battle, too late to help Dawson. Those men were actually led by Dawson's cousin, and they buried the remains of the men on the banks of Salado Creek. And that was essentially the story of Dawson's massacre. Well, there's one more incident that we need to talk about to set the scene of uh, for these heroes, and that is the, the Mir Expedition. Now, uh, the, the word Mir is spelled M-I-E-R. I've always heard it pronounced Mir. It's a city in Mexico. If there's a different pronunciation, please email me and let me know. Now, the Mir Expedition is a little well-known, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it definitely deserves its own episode. It was a fascinating incident and very well-known in Texas history. There was an expedition led by a man named Somerville in 1842. Alexander Somerville was ordered by Sam Houston to muster some men and invade Mexico if he thought they could win. Uh, So about 700 men volunteered. They captured Laredo. This is December 1842. They captured Laredo, and some of the men left after that. Uh, They later captured Guerrero, Mexico, and uh, they knew Somerville realized that this was about as successful as they were going to be. And so he ordered the expedition to cease and everybody to go home. Uh, But some of the men, about 300, a little more than 300, decided that was not going to work for them. They wanted to continue to fight. And so William Fisher led those men on the Mir expedition. So they proceed in three columns, uh, some on some boats that they, uh, and Fisher was in the boats, floating down the Rio Grande, or actually, I think it was Thomas Green actually commanded the boats. Um, And he later wrote a very interesting book about the expedition. But um, so Green, uh, I think it was Green that was in the boat. So Green gets in these boats and they start floating down from Guerrero. A column of men 
uh, on the west bank of the river, some Texas Rangers led by Ben McCullough, a name that y'all might recognize, uh, started down the west bank of the river, and then Fisher took his men down the east side of the river. Uh, When they reached a point opposite the town, uh, McCullough's rangers found a bunch of Mexican troops assembling along the river and uh, told Fisher that he needed to not land on the Mexican side of the river. He did not agree with that and said, we are going to land. So McCullough and his rangers uh, left the expedition. Long story short, they attacked Mir but didn't have enough supplies. Uh, The battle was a defeat. The Texans surrendered, and there was some confusion about how they were going to be treated. Uh, But ultimately, they were imprisoned by Santa Ana, ordered to be executed. Uh, There were multiple escape attempts. The order was modified, and uh, it was modified into a true decimation, the killing of every tenth man, the execution of every tenth man. And this is the the famous black bean incident where a jar of of, um, a number of of beans equal to the number of men, uh, and every tenth bean was a black one, and the men had to draw a bean, and the ones that drew the black bean were executed, and the ones that drew the white beans were not. And uh, that is the origin of the term, drawing the black bean. And so those men were executed, and they were buried in a nearby cemetery in Mexico. Now fast forward to uh, the time of the Mexican War. During the Mexican War, there was a group of rangers under Walter P. Lane, Major Walter P. Lane, and they were stationed near the town of Cedral, and that's the town where the little cemetery was, where the remains of the Mir uh, prisoners were buried. And there was a captain in that force named Dusenberry, and he was one of the Mir expedition survivors. So he asked uh, Major Lane if he could take a detail over to that cemetery and recover the remains of his comrades so they could take him back to America. Well, uh, Lane could not officially say yes, uh, but he didn't say no. And I don't know what uh, he actually said or what his facial expression might be, uh, but Captain Dusenberry, under the cover of darkness, led a group into the cemetery at Cedral. And in that group, interestingly, were at least three men from Fayette County. And so they entered the town Uh, They gathered some uh, volunteers, and I'm using quotes around the word volunteers from the citizens of the town, and they started digging in that graveyard. Now, this upset the priest, but there was nothing that he was going to be able to do to stop it. And they they found that they got the bones of their uh, comrades from the Mir expedition. They put them in some boxes, strapped them with some mules, and went back to the camp. Uh, They took the boxes all the way back to Texas, and the word is, the account is, that they stored the boxes of the rema- with the remains in the Fayette County Courthouse. Um, they decided to bury the remains in LaGrange because the only officer on the Mir expedition that drew a black bean was from Fayette County, and he was Captain William Mosby Eastland. So in honor of him, they were going to inter him in the, in the town of LaGrange. Well, when the Mir expedition remains returned, that inspired everyone in Fayette County to go get the bones of the, of the uh, guys involved in Dawson's massacre. So there was a citizens group that was formed, and they went and got those bones from Salado Creek, and they brought them back to LaGrange. And they had some meetings among the citizenry, and they decided to inter the remains high up on a bluff 
the across the Colorado River from the grains that overlook the town. So that's what they did. Now they needed somebody to build a vault for these remains. So they hired a stonemason in town named Heinrich Ludwig Kreischet. And he had settled in Fayette County. Um, and he built a sandstone tomb on the bluff that overlooked the town. Well, let me tell you about Kreishi because he's the second half of our story. Heinrich Kreishi was born in 1821 in the kingdom of Saxony, Germany. And I discussed some of the German immigration in the middle 1800s back in episode 26 when we talked about Jacob Broadbeck and his arrow ship. Well, Kreishi joined that group of immigrants in 1846, uh, which was the same year, by the way, that Jacob Broadbeck had come over. Uh, He sailed on a ship called the Albatross from Germany. He arrived in Galveston on December 26th, 1846, and he had received a land grant in Mason County. Now, you'll recall that the Adelsverein, the uh, Society for the Protection of German Immigrants in Texas, had a very large land grant up in Mason County and around Llano, uh, but as I discussed in that prior episode, a lot of the German immigrants settled in areas before they got all the way up to Mason County, and that's exactly what Heinrich Kreischi did. So he had that land in Mason County, but he decided to settle in Fayette County in 1848. He became a fairly prominent stonemason in the area. He built the jail in LaGrange. He built the Fayette County Courthouse in LaGrange, and uh, he also built that sandstone tomb on the bluff for the remains of the Dawson Massacre victims and the Mir Expedition prisoners. Now, he must have, as everyone does, loved the view from that bluff because he ended up buying the 172 acres or 172 acres of land, including the area around the tomb. And that area became known as Kreisch's Bluff and later as the Bluff Community. So as he built his trade, in LaGrange, I mentioned building the jail and the courthouses. He built a stone house on the bluff um, a couple hundred yards from that sandstone tomb. Later, he married a lady named Josepha Appelt in 1855, and there are still uh, several Appelts in that area. They had uh, they ended up having six children. Heinrich enlarged that stone house a couple of times to accommodate his growing family. And the area around Kreisch's Bluff began to grow and prosper. About 1857, there were more German immigrants moving in and moving to the bluff side of the river. Uh, In 1857, there was a literary society organized called the Prairie Bluma. Uh, Bluma, spelled B-L-U-M-E, is the German word for flower. And uh, so it was the Prairie Flower Society. They would exchange reading material and and have meetings that were very serious intellectual discussions of politics and art and all the things they were reading. They were also very fun, and uh, you, you'll remember that uh, perhaps from earlier episodes that my mother's half of the family is part of that German immigration in the middle 1800s, so I can talk about uh, the Germans and their culture, and I can assure you uh, that those meetings would involve beer, wine, food, and dancing. Um, so that's that's one of the things that that was starting to form on the bluff as the community started to form it was a very important part of socializing back then. Church there was a church built, uh, but then of course not too long after that the Civil War dawned and 
and I've mentioned this in some other episodes, the Civil War was a very, very difficult time in the German areas of Texas because you had these massive immigrations, thousands and thousands of people, extraordinarily productive citizens, and but many of them were, their sympathies lay with the Union, and that created a real problem when Texas voted to secede overwhelmingly, which they did. Uh, and you can, you can sort of um, create your own map of the secession election results, and I'll do an episode on the secession convention in that situation because it was an interesting political problem. But if you create your own map of how these counties and areas voted in Texas, you'll see that the German communities were the ones that were really voting against secession. But in the Fayette County area, um, it was a very divided situation. And uh, there's even one family, and I can't remember the name, I read about it, but the father joined, ran off and joined the Union Army, and the son stayed home and joined the Confederate Army. So, I mean, it, you know, that that was one of the worst, besides the sheer numbers of people killed, one of the worst things uh, about the Civil War, in my mind, was the fact that families were split and actually could be fighting against each other. But the 1860s... Um, so, so it was hard. Uh, the prosperity sort of dwindled during that time all over Texas, uh, but certainly in the German communities because they were looked on with suspicion. Um, but it was during the 1860s that uh, Heinrich Kreische did uh, an extraordinarily German thing and, and is the reason that we know who he is, and that is he built a brewery on the bluff. Now, remember, he was a stonemason, so he was... Uh, pretty good at building these. He built a three-story stone brewery on his 172-acre property. And uh, it it took off pretty well because he listed himself on the 1870 census, uh, not as a stonemason, but as a brewer. So I guess he'd gone full-time into the beer business. The top floor of his three-story brewery was a beer hall which are becoming sort of popular again with these craft breweries. Everybody's opening a tap room. or So Heinrich Kreische was um, one of the early craft brewers. Of course, at that time in Texas, everybody was a craft brewer. But nonetheless, we're going to call him a, a craft beer expert. Uh, he began selling the beer around the, the German areas of Fayette County. And uh, he even built a road up to his beer hall. He started operating a ferry across the Colorado River near his property. Uh, He opened another beer hall in the town of LaGrange. So the brewing industry was agreeing with Heinrich Kreisching. And the brewery itself is pretty interesting. Where it's built on his property, it's built down in a ravine in, in the bluff. And so he used, the reason he built it there was he could use spring water and he could use gravity. And he built an elaborate uh, water system for that brewery so that the gravity would bring the water into the into the brewery to be used in the brewing process, which is several steps. By 1879, Kreishi was the third largest brewer in the state. Now, there I found a 1950 article, or 1950s article, that described Kreishi as the the Kreishi Brewery as the first brewery in the state, but generally it's William Minger's San Antonio Brewery uh, that's thought of as the first brewery in the state, first commercial brewery in the state. So uh, it's really not important who was the first. It's important that they were there and doing it, and uh, he was reported to be the third largest brewer in the state by 1879. Um, 
Kreishi was very successful in the bluff community, the bluff, and the, of course the beer hall became uh, the center of social activity in the western part of Fayette County. Kreishi was also uh, one of the founding members of the uh, Scheutzenverein. Now, my German is not very good. My mom's going to fuss at me for that, but that's a German shooting club called the Scheutzenverein, and it's um, a very traditional German organization that actually goes back almost to medieval times, and it's uh, it's a shooting club, of course, and, and, and you would need to know how to shoot uh, to hunt for your food, but it was also a very social organization and remains so, and many of the original German shooting clubs around the state of Texas still exist. I happen to know a little bit about the one in New Braunfels, and uh, they are they are uh, very successful and still, and I believe that club was formed in 1849, and it still continues, and there are several others around the state. Um, so Kreischia organized that uh, organization. They built a pavilion that was the also a center of social activity on the bluff. So uh, what Kreischia ended up doing by building his home there, uh, building that brewery, uh, and organizing life on the bluff, everybody that went up on that bluff was just awed by the view, and you will be again today. So the bluff really became an excursion place for the people of the community and uh, was was just a thriving area. And uh, the Kreishes were always very generous to allow people to picnic on their property. And, uh, of course, Kreishe had a business interest in doing so because he'd sell them a little beer. So uh, it was a great place to live back during that time. Well, unfortunately, uh, Heinrich Kreishe was killed he fe- in an accident. He fell from his wagon in 1882. The family, uh, Josepha and couple of sons tried to keep the brewery going, but uh, it finally closed in 1884. Uh, the Bluff community was still active. However, they got a post office in the 1880s, and and uh, by 1900, the area uh, had several hundred people living in it. Now, what had happened between the 1840s and, the, and 1900 was an, another big wave of immigration into Texas, this time from the Czech community, uh, which, much like the German community, uh, remains a thriving part of Texas culture. And the Czechs, uh, Fayette County was a real hub of Czech immigration as well. And so uh, I think the original Czech settlement was somewhere around Cat Spring. Uh, I'm thinking of that off the top of my head, so don't hold me to that. Uh, but that would have been right next to the German settlement in industry, Texas, that we've discussed. And uh, Fayette County had an enormous Czech population and many of them had settled in that bluff area overlooking LaGrange, and Fayette County remains a very uh, heavily Czech-oriented county. So schools were built, social halls were built, churches were built, and uh, the bluff continued to thrive. Well, let's talk about that tomb. I mentioned that the tomb was made out of sandstone. The tomb of those Texas heroes in the early 1900s was in disrepair. Uh, I found one account talking about a hole in the vault that left the bones exposed. Uh, Some people noted that they thought some of the bones had been carried off for souvenirs, which is just an outrage in my mind. Um, Josepha Kreischer had long requested that the state remove those remains from her property uh, because they drew a steady stream of sightseers to the property 
and, and obviously some vandals. The state actually, at one point in the early 1900s, allocated money to move the remains, uh, but the, what they wanted to do was buy the land uh, that the tomb was on, and Josepha did not want to sell the land because uh, if she just sold them the land for the tomb, that wouldn't solve the problem of the people coming onto her property. So she stuck to her guns, and uh, she insisted that the remains be moved, and that was quite the controversy at the time. Um, but eventually an association uh, was formed in the local community, and they even, they even formed a newspaper, and this was pretty interesting. I didn't know this, but the Monument Association formed a newspaper called the Texas Monument, and uh, I looked up one of the papers, and um, they published something in the first column called a prospectus, and uh, it, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. It, and it says, Prospectus of the Texas Monument. The Texas Monument, a weekly newspaper published in the town of LaGrange in the county of Fayette. And it talks about the press and type belong to the Monumental Committee. And the proceeds arising from the publication of the paper will, after paying the expenses of publication, be appropriated to the erection of a monument to the memory of the decimated mere prisoners and others who have fallen in the cause of Texas. So the association decided that instead of a bake sale or a, some sort of uh, other fundraiser, they would just start a newspaper and raise the money that they needed uh, for the new vault. Well, they were successful. And a new granite vault, which still stands, was constructed. The, the state of Texas eventually took a third of an acre around the vault and made it a state park. And in 1936, in connection with the Texas Centennial, there was a 48-foot monument erected to the Texas heroes in that third of an acre. That monument still stands, and uh, hence the name Monument Hill. Now, interestingly, the Kreisha's children, all of them, or none of them, I should say, uh, married. None of them married. None of them had children. So the line was going to die with the second generation one child had died early of tuberculosis. Uh, another child, unfortunately, was institutionalized. Uh, Josepha, the kids had moved away. By this time, Josepha passed away in 1906. Uh, two of the children eventually came back to live in the house on Monument Hill, or Chrysler Bluff, as we should call it. And that's what Heinrich liked to call it. And they lived in the house into the 50s. They lived into the 1950s and were living in the house. Um, but during that time, the Bluff community had really been in decline. Um, the, the, Czech, the community of Hoston, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, H-O-S-T-Y-N, uh, that was mostly a Czech community that had also declined. And I think really it was World War II, and that time period kind of cinched that. You know, after World War II, many of the folks who had left for the war did not return to the rural life uh, in Texas that they had known. Uh, but Franklin and Julia Kreischer, who were the two surviving children living in the house in the 50s, they planned in advance for what to do with all this property, and they donated it to the Queen of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church, which had been built on the bluff. And uh, the church eventually sold the land, but the state acquired it back in the 70s, and they opened a state park on the site in the 1980s. Well, the Kreischer Brewery, and the Bluff community really offer a neat insight into the life of a typical German community in the 1800s uh, and really owes its existence and success to Heinrich Kreischer. 
the victims of the Dawson Massacre and the Mir Expedition rest in that beautiful granite vault headed by a monument appropriate to their service to Texas. And despite its start as a solemn place, the bluff became a thriving center of community life in Fayette County. And communities ebb and flow, but one thing certainly remains, the beauty of Kreisch's Bluff, one of the most magnificent views in Texas, in my judgment, is unparalleled. And when you visit, you can certainly understand the desire of Texans to congregate there for well over 150 years. So I encourage everyone out there to pack a good picnic lunch, including, of course, some beer as a tribute to our friend Heinrich Kreisch, and spend some time at Monument Hill. Craft beer to Texas in the 1800s. I hope you have a great rest of the summer, and please keep the feedback coming on the show. I really appreciate you listening. Get on the show's Facebook page. Uh, We're Wise About Texas on Facebook, and like and share the page if you get a minute. We're on Instagram, at Wise About Texas, and on Twitter, at Wise About Texas. Go ahead and uh, tag us in your pictures from your Texas road trips this summer. Please be careful. Go out there and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.